voyage. I could feel my consciousness coming in and out. I am in pitch black. I realized later on that I was in there for 40 minutes. That would be enough to kill anyone. So he called out to me, Marie, can you hear me? I'm a bit stubborn. I refused to answer. And then he waited quite some time and I heard the phone ring and he said, I can't talk now, the job's not finished. How much would you fight for your marriage? Enough to die for it? Marie Lalensack would learn the answer to that question. When a new man came into her life, she was at a point where she was very ready to find love. I had been a senior executive for uh, many years in an asset management company. I was in, based in Sydney. Um, I was a single mum, grown up children. They were no longer living with me, so I had this beautiful, stunning um, waterfront apartment on Sydney Harbour. And I had just been made redundant, so I was going to take 12 months out and give myself a, a long, a rewarding holiday. <laughs> and I took a telephone call from my old skipper, who asked me to go sailing um, in an international race to Numea, New Caledonia, and I jumped at the opportunity. The race was to start in Brisbane, I was living in Sydney, and it was going to take about three or four days, this race. So I had a fairly fun life going on prior to meeting Damon. Damon is not his real name. Marie and everyone else interviewed for this podcast was directed to refer to this man by a pseudonym Damien. With Marie's accent, it sometimes sounds like Damon. Occasionally, you'll hear Marie and others interviewed for the show slip up and refer to him by his real name. Those instances are bleeped. So I was getting ready to go on this yacht race and it was at Royal Queensland and I was racing on a boat called Eureka. The team was there, we had about 12 on the crew, so it's quite a big boat, 60 footer. And it was our farewell cocktail party. Everyone was dressed to the nines. I had this stunning dress on. It was black and red lame, no back to it. You know, I was pretty hot stuff in those days. Uh, <laughs> and fit. I've always been very fit. So um, I was at this function and I knew lots of people because I'd been racing for years and having a grand time. But every time I turned around, this man was looking at me and I would move so he couldn't see me. I'd put my back to him, but he would move around again so that every time I looked up, he was in front of my face, which was making me feel very, very uncomfortable. And I said to a few people, God, he's creepy. What's wrong with that man? So we went upstairs to the next part of the party, which he was unable to come to dressed in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and a pair of socks. He just wasn't allowed to go there. Uh, so I never saw him again until days after the race. It was my last day before I was heading home the next morning and I was off to breakfast. And, you know, I probably would have had, you know, short-ass shorts on, <laughs> little skimpy tops, you know. Anyway, this guy walks straight out in front of me and says, hello, Marie, how are you? 
and I didn't know his name. And I went, oh, hello. Really shocked. And he said, why don't you join us for breakfast? And I went, mm, no, I'm just going to go and sit by myself. No, no, no. And all the boys that he was sitting with said, come on, no, join us, join us, you know. So we sat down and we talked about the race and about their lives and all the usual things you chat about. He walked me back to the hotel room and then said to me, hey, uh, can I catch up with you when we get back to Australia and all of that sort of stuff? And I went, yeah. I was having a great time, so I went, yeah, that'd be lovely. So he explained to me that uh, he was going sailing. He was going out to the Isle of Pines, which is a small island off New Caledonia, and that he would be home and he would ring me when he got back to Australia. So I estimated, you know, two to three weeks, and I never got a phone call, which I thought was really, really strange given this push to meet me. So I had his number, so I called him. And a lady answered the phone. And uh, she was very rude to me, very. And I went, gee, that's strange. Uh, you know, I, why would he lie to me? Why? He had no reason to lie. I was just somebody he met at a, on a race. And it wasn't as if we had a full-blown relationship or anything like that. That, that wasn't it. Anyway, um, I took heed of what she said. I didn't call. But that night, an, a friend who I had met at the breakfast called me and said, please don't hang up. I, you need to know a few things. And she said, that was Damon's former partner. She's looking after him. He's had a very nasty uh, fall off a boat that was on the hard. And that he's got a few crushed vertebrae and a wreck collarbone and he's in a sling and all of that stuff. So I said, okay, fine. Just let him know you've told me and all is good. All right. So I kind of closed the book, right? And went on my merry way. This is the start of many, many stories regarding Damien told to Marie that may or not be true. So it was three months later and I get an email. Suffice to say, not is all as it seems. I wrote back and said, I don't care. You have a partner and I'm not interested. <laughs> anyway, it was, I don't know, two or three weeks later. And then I get a telephone call from him and he goes on to tell me that they're no longer in a relationship and all of this sort of stuff. Anyway, it was phone call after phone call, and I agreed to have him come down to visit. And I think he got a shock. I collected him at the airport. I'll never forget this. And you have to remember, I did say I was pretty well off. So I had beautiful BMW coupe. I was dressed to the nines. I take him to my home, which is on the waterfront beautifully decorated and all he could do was stand there with his mouth open and went oh wow <laughs> so we had a great time we went out to lots of restaurants we went for walks we went into the city in sydney i think it was through all the telephone calls because it was every night he would ring me every night 
So the level of communication was getting deeper and deeper each time. He was telling me parts of his life and he was asking me lots of questions about mine, about children, about, you know, what sort of work I did and all of this sort of stuff. Like I said, I was uh, still um, very single in my mind, very single. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I've been out with guys that were all professional, you know, detectives, uh, the basketball who, who was a qualified accountant. And he was this guy, long hair, down to his shoulder, full beard, very fit, very fit, beautiful, beautiful BBC voice, educated, very well spoken, and could tell stories. So it was kind of a total turnaround for me. You know, that's why I thought I've got nothing to lose. It's a normal thought to think part of a carefree attitude that would usually be a positive thing. Just not in this case. He only had blue jeans, no shoes, no socks. He owned one white shirt and with buttons, and he bought that the week he came to visit with me. <laughs> A dag. <laughs> so I had to pick and choose what cafes or restaurants we went to because in Sydney it was really up market and were the places I used to go to. So. Even her friends had noticed a shift in the type of romantic partner Marie was with now. Damien was a stark contrast with the men of Marie's past. Here's Marie's friend and work colleague, Denise Louie. My name is um, Denise Louie and I've known Marie, oh gosh, since I was probably 25. She was my boss at the time and she's 12 years older than I am and we just got on really, really well. She was a mentor to me through my whole career and uh, I, we lived quite close by. As I became friends with her, I was friends with her and her family. And yeah, she's, she's always been an amazing leader to me and a mentor, really. She inspired you to want to do the best for her, you know, as well as for the company, but she was the reason that you wanted to work really hard and to do well, because she made you feel like a team. She was called National Distribution Manager. So basically we worked for a financial planning organisation which had at that time, I don't know, I say 100 different uh, financial advisors all around Australia. Oh, it's probably more than that actually, more like 200, well over 200 actually. And I was the state manager for New South Wales and for we split up the states differently at different times. But basically she was the national manager, I was the state manager. Marie was absolutely top of her game in the financial advice industry. You know, she had a national role where she was responsible for billions of dollars of funds management sales. So she was an incredibly sharp businesswoman. I met Damien probably, I'm gonna say, within six months of her meeting him. When I heard about, she basically told me he wore no shoes. He was totally not the sort of guy that she'd previously been out with. He was, you know, had no clothes, you know, clearly he was a boaty and really didn't have all those sort of airs and graces. And so he really sounded like a very, very different sort of guy than she'd previously been out with. And in some respects, I thought, well, that may not be a bad thing. When I met him, he seemed nice enough. He seemed he's quite 
not not charming, but he was down to earth and he was interesting. He'd done a lot, done a lot of sailing, and he seemed quite an interesting sort of guy. And I thought, yeah, I can see why she likes him. While Damien had left a positive impression on Denise, some of Marie's other friends had quite different reactions. Here's Marie's longtime friend, Nancy Hopkins. My name is Nancy Hopkins, and I met Marie in Sydney, Australia, where I was working for Citibank. And I hired her as an area manager um, for New South Wales. Marie was married to an American guy at the time. And me being American married to an Australian guy was kind of a good match. And we got along very well. We became friends and her sons became friends with my daughter. And that's how the group got together. Back in the 80s, not too many people were wearing hats. And I remember I was interviewing a lot of people. And she came in all dressed up in red with a red hat on. And I remember thinking, wow, this is different. This is not what I'm used to from New York or from the States. She was very, very um, assertive. She was very bright. Um, she knew a lot about finance. We were over in Australia and she said, I want you to meet somebody. And he's got this fabulous boat that this guy, she was sending me pictures of the El Kareem and so my husband and I spent a couple nights on the boat with them, and uh, I have pictures of that. I really did not really warm up to Damien at all. He looked to me like he might not be the right person for her. But when Marie threw herself into relationships, she really threw herself into relationships and got all involved in them. My first impression was this wasn't good, but she wanted a whole new lifestyle. It really did feel off. And my husband even said to me, I don't know, there's something shady about that guy. We did learn later on that he had been involved in running arms in the, in the Pacific. And I guess he really never, the story I got was he never owned that boat. He took that boat from somebody in Texas and sailed it back to New Zealand. Then for some reason it ended up in, in Queensland and I'm not sure how that happened. Indeed the history of that boat the El Karim, like many other things with Damien, is mysterious, and the exact truth of its history is difficult to ascertain with certainty. He was just very, very different than her other two husbands that I knew, and I don't think her sons liked him very much, because they were one, one of her sons dated my daughter, and they were very close, and I don't think they were too happy about him. I think I did say a few times to her, I don't know about this guy, Marie. She said, oh, he's fine. She really wanted to use that sailing. That was the whole thing. Nancy was a woman of the world. Nancy was a very high executive in Citibank. And she said to me, he lies. So she'd already worked it out. I don't know what triggered it in her. And I think he was always trying to impress people. You know what I mean? There was another potential explanation, or at least in part, for the unexpected coupling of Damien and Marie. Um, how do I say this? From the time he took me to the bedroom, I think he carried me to bed for a start. <laughs> and then it, uh, it was just like someone had made love to me like I have never experienced in my entire life. Pretty upfront about that. And this just didn't go for 20 minutes. This went for hours. Right, so there was this new world in front of me that I'd never experienced. And so I believe he sensed that, and I think he brought the woman out in me. 
not the uh, boss. Damien was attentive, although sometimes he took his behavior to an extreme. He'd always write me love notes and send me letters, tell me how much he missed me, how much he enjoyed uh, being him in our company. Here is an interesting point, and this becomes a talking point with a psychologist. Every time we went to a restaurant, he would have difficulties in making a decision on what to eat. He always ordered what I ordered, which I found very weird, right? Well, I, I used to say that as a joke, don't you know how to read the menu? <laughs> and he'd get very angry at me. Oh, I just like your choice. And I went, oh, yeah, right, I roll my eyes. But um, that became a talking point with the psychologist again. And uh, she believes by mirroring me, he was trying to make me feel better by ordering the same as me because if I like me, I like him. You know what I mean? We had Christmas together and it was really lovely. Lots of fun, lots of food, laughter, family. And then on New Year's Eve, he was in Balmain and he walked me down to the waterfront and put his arms around me. And he said, um, I'm going to ask you to marry Marie and marry me. You know, I think we fit in. He gave me all these beautiful words. We're opposites, but we get on so well, all of that sort of stuff. I was really shocked. I'd only been dating him since September, all right? So you can imagine the shock I had. And I said, look, that's beautiful offer. And the answer is yes, but not today. You'll have to wait. You know, we'll have to wait and see what goes on our way. But I think it was one way of him really saying, I don't want you to see any other men. You're a long way away from me. <laughs> so it was easier to propose. Just beautiful words. <laughs> They were shocked, but my mother said she could see why, that he was so different to the other men that I'd actually been with. He was charming, he was attentive, and you know, all, all of the things that I kind of never had previously. So he was a man that was there for me, really there for me. At least it seemed that way at first. Marrying this man ultimately cost me my life as a, a loved woman. He turned me into a victim. No authorities would listen to me at all about what I was living through. And then I had to fight to be a survivor. Choosing to marry Damien was the worst choice Marie made in her entire life, and he would make her pay for it. Next time on Dead in the Water, Marie marries Damien and things immediately take a turn for the worse. She suffers an unimaginable personal tragedy and Damien's true character is revealed. But by then, she's already in too deep. That's next time. Dead in the Water is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Mitas, Caitlin Brown, and Dan Benamar. Reported, lead produced, and written by Dan Benamar. Edited by Nick Messiti, Nick Shope, Jackson McLeanan, and Andres Coca. Narrated by Tony Dalton. Original music by Darlis Gonzalez. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or anywhere you're listening, and subscribe now for future episodes.
When 27-year-old Gretchen Fleming leaves a West Virginia bar with a former police officer on a winter night in 2022, she's never seen again. Diligent investigators close in on an ex-cop with an unlikely story and an unsettling reputation in a recent episode of the Unsolved True Crime podcast, Last Seen Alive. Last Seen Alive is a true crime podcast researched, written, and hosted by crime analyst Leah Owens. Cases covered include disappearances, homicides, and suspicious deaths, all of them unsolved and all of them in need of tips from the public. Recognizing the right piece of information can sometimes be the difference between a cold case and resolution. Last Seen Alive exists to bring public awareness to cases that need it. Listen to Gretchen's story and more than 100 other gripping mysteries as told by a working crime analysis professional. Find Last Seen Alive wherever you listen to podcasts.